Welcome to EHS on Tap. I'm your host, Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. This week, we've got a special crossover episode with the good folks at Radio Free Tenacity, a podcast from Ergodyne. First, I talked to Al Bukowski and Ali Tunstrom, who host Radio Free Tenacity, about their podcast, and then we'll present episode five of that podcast, which focuses on fall prevention. So here we go. Hi, this is Jay Kumar, editor-in-chief of EHS Daily Advisor. Um, welcome to EHS on Tap. And uh, today we're doing a crossover, much like The Simpsons and Family Guy. We're crossing over with another great podcast in the worker safety world, Radio Free Tenacity. Uh, and I'm joined by Al Bukowski and Ali Thernstrom, the co-hosts. Uh, welcome, guys. Um, and I guess uh, you guys are at Ergodyne. So I guess tell me a little bit about Ergodyne. Tell me about the podcast. Uh, Allie. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, the podcast is really trying to bring a different light to worker safety. You know, safety is often seen as that topic that nobody really has fun talking about. It's something you have to do. And we just kind of wanted to bring a different light to that and talk about why it's important, but also have kind of a friendly, fun spin on it. So, you know, what we've been able to do in a lot of our episodes is bring in people from a lot of different industries and kind of talk through what their pain points are, talk about best practices and, and really make it not as negative and taboo as a, of a topic as it's been, you know, seen in the past. Um, you know, as, as far as my position goes, you know, I'm consistently giving toolbox talks on a daily basis and, you know, it's always, Oh, here we go again. We have our 10 minute safety meeting at the beginning of the day. And we really kind of want to change that attitude into something that people, I don't know that we'll get as far as to say enjoy, but something that is a welcome message and just really gets people thinking about how to ensure that not only themselves, but everybody that they're working with make it home safe at the end of the day. Al, what do you think? Yeah, I think I can't follow that <laughs> up per usual. Um, yeah, no, I, I think Allie really, really nailed it. Uh, the the podcast is, is truly about, you know, we look, we, kind of our tagline at Ergodine is making the workplace a better place. And that's really what the podcast is, is dedicated to, which, um, you know, specifically uh, we're, we're talking about, you know, safer, more productive uh, workplaces. And, and we're talking to, you know, people that are in the midst of that challenge and people who are um, trying to support those people who are trying to, to solve for that challenge. Um, and Ali is, is a really um, critical to that, she's she's one of our main arteries from uh, Ergodyne's product innovation uh, to the, the boots on the ground, the people doing the work, the people that are are living the struggle um, and and trying to find better ways to do things. Allie uh, and and the people she works with, they just they've been instrumental um, in that, and we do like to bring a lot of that uh, to the podcast too. So uh, you know, in addition to talking to uh, the you know, the people out in the field, uh, we're also talking to, you know, some of the best product innovators uh, uh, in the space, which just so happened to be under our roof. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's really good to see those, those two worlds come together, the, the product innovation and being kind of, uh, you know, made to be a necessity from, from all the intel that uh, Ali is pulling from the field and um, hearing their pain points. Yeah, you know, it's a great sounding show. I've listened to a couple of your episodes. Um, have you guys ever done podcasts before? Or was this your first uh, try at it? Because, you know, it sounds really good. 
definitely first timers over here. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's been super fun to get to know a lot of these people. Um, like Al mentioned, you know, I've had the fortune of, of getting to see them on a daily basis and, and going to their job sites and getting to know them on that level, but then to bring them into a podcast situation, it's been a really interesting experience and definitely worthwhile and so much more thoughtful and interesting than I think when you think of a safety podcast, what you think it could be. So it's been a really fun first experience uh, in podcast world. Nice. Definitely. Yeah. We're, we're always, you know, striving towards that, towards what Allie is saying for sure. And um, yeah, it's really, it's really the guests of that, that bring the show to life, right? We're just kind of the, the, the ringleaders in organizing things, but uh, yeah, to really dive in um, to the, the daily pain points of, you know, the people out in the field and to actually kind of pick the heads of the people that are innovating those products to help them out. Uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully something out of the norm than, than you'd expect from um, a, a podcast in this space. Did you have any podcasts that influenced you that maybe weren't safety related that you kind of wanted to model yourself after? Or was it just sort of like, this is what I want it to sound like and it just sort of happened that way? That's a really interesting question. I mean, uh, personally, I really like uh, how Ezra Klein, um, if you're familiar with Ezra Klein, how uh, he navigates conversations uh, with people. Uh, very, you know, smart questions, uh, and really tries to have the the guest, the expert, um, lead the conversation, um, which is what uh, again we attempt to do on our podcast. I strive for. Uh, I don't know, Ali. What about you? I mean, if we're being perfectly honest, I <laughs> have never really even listened to a podcast. What? <laughs> except except <laughs> ours, obviously now. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> even just the other day, a couple of my friends and I were talking because um, uh, one of my teammates has to drive two hours to practice every day. And I was like, oh, gosh, what do you do during that two hours? And she was like, you know, I got into podcasts. I used to be a music only kind of person, but at some point you're sick of listening to music. So she turned to podcast. Um, and I was just mentioning that I wanted to get into that, but to this point, the only podcast I've really listened to is our own. So just kind of going, <laughs> going with the flow in that regard. Yeah, there you go. Um, what can a, a, a podcast do that a blog post or an article can't? like in terms of getting a message out? I mean, I think in terms of the ease of how you can take in that information is huge. So you're thinking of a blog post or any written type of communication, you know, ideally you would sit and focus on it. It's not something that you could do passively while you're driving or potentially on an air. I mean, I guess you could on an airplane or something of that nature, but with reading and written material, you do have to take time and not, you can't multitask with it where I feel like a podcast, you can passively receive that information and it gives you a really easy opportunity to share it. Um, whereas, you know, again, with blog posts and, and written words, there's a limit on how much you can really put into that from an information perspective before it gets to be a chapter book that, you know, you might lose interest where you can get a really good, interesting amount of information while speaking. And so I think that's kind of one of those huge benefits. And a lot of people like to have that passive option um, to, to get new material and information. And I would say it's very, uh, it's a very personal medium too, right? Um, 
it's it's almost like a one-on-one or in our case two-on-one conversation uh, with who whoever is listening um, so there's that part of it there's there's also that it just kind of brings you know that that content from a blog post to to life as you know like you you can add a human a more human element to it uh, and really connect it uh, uh, more deeply with real world ramifications you know for sure. And I, just to kind of riff off that, I think, you know, like you mentioned, adding that human perspective, you get to hear and the the tones that are being spoken of, where if you read a blog post, you're kind of guessing as to is this, you know, are we coming at this from a negative perspective? Are we just looking at it very data driven and having people openly and actively speak about it? It's probably not going to get as data e or show as many numbers or be that really analysis piece but you get that real world experience and you get to hear the tone and how people are responding to the different topics which is really cool too yeah it's a it's a different kind of of information delivery right i mean it's just it's it, mm-hmm. like you said it's a different side i think it's i think it's part of the you have to have you have the written word but you also have to have it's also nice to have sort of that other component um I was wondering if you guys could uh, tell me about some of the guests you've had and who you're hoping to have uh, in the future. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as I was mentioning previously, a lot of the guests we have on are direct results of the relationships uh, people like Ali are are making out in the in the field. Um, And so we, we get to bring them on for uh, a little more in-depth conversation and, and share the experiences we had with them with with a larger audience, uh, which which is great. Uh, we've, I mean, the, the guest list has really kind of run the gamut uh, right now, which has been really great. From uh, the CEO of a, a solar company uh, who was charged, his company was charged with the biggest high-rise solar build ever in North America. So you get. Uh, you know, the safety perspective from a project on a massive scale um, to somebody from, uh, say, ISCA, uh, who is really getting down into the nitty gritty of making sure the safety work gear people are using is up to snuff and um, reaches some sort of, uh, you know, baseline level of quality uh, to uh, you know, people who are just kind of thought leaders in the safety space. Uh, it's It really does run the gamut. I don't know, Ali, am I missing anybody here? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, kind of the goal as we were looking at it is to just be really diversified in who we're talking to. And, you know, we have people in the tower industry, we have people in aviation and construction and really everything in between. And I think that that gives a really unique perspective and something that people can take wins from, the aviation industry and try to bring them over to construction. And a lot of it in what the conversations that we've had, they're not specific to a particular job site. It's just, you know, how did you approach X issue? And I think that that's something that no matter what industry you're in, you can learn from. So it's just, you know, the diversification into all of the different industrial aspects and all of the different worker safety pieces that you can think of is something that we really want to try to get to. And I think so far we have had, you know, a, a pretty diverse group of people that we've had the ability to talk to. So it's been uh, pretty interesting for sure. Nice. Uh, so how often uh, do episodes come out? So right now we're, we're striving for every two weeks. Um, 
So not, not quite as aggressive as one, once a week, but, uh, you know, surely as, as we uh, get more and more experience, as, as we were saying, we're just babies in the game, uh, trying, trying to figure it all out. Uh, but, you know, as, as we push more and more shows, uh, who knows, maybe that becomes more regular. But yeah, for now, uh, we're, we're striving for every two weeks. Excellent. Well, the program is Radio Free Tenacity. Uh, you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, and Al and Allie, thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jay. Appreciate it. When it comes to getting our people to buy into using the PPE, our relationship with Ergodine has been so amazing because our people feel involved. Welcome, everybody, to Radio Free Tenacity, the voice of worker safety. I'm your co-host, Al Bukowski, joined, as always, by our worksite safety specialist, Allie Thunstrom. Hey, Allie. Hey, Al. So, Allie, you know, if over a quarter century of America's Funniest Home Videos has taught us anything, it's that people fall a lot, often with hilarious results. But in investigating the cost of slips on the job, things become a lot less funny. In fact, of the 3.8 million disabling injuries per year, 15% are caused by slips, trips, and falls. Yeah, not great. I mean, like you mentioned, it can be funny, but it, it can also be very devastating as it comes to workers in the workforce. But, you know, the good news is that the right ice traction device or traction device in general costs just a few bucks to help keep workers upright and out of harm's way. You know, the big thing here, though, is choosing the right one. So later in today's episode, we're going to dig into what traction options workers have with Ergodine product director Elsie Nelson. Uh, but first, my conversation with Peter Freeberg, who is the operations safety manager for Delta Airlines at uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul International Airport. Peter and his team were integral in helping us develop the industry's first true indoor-outdoor traction device. And I recently had the chance to catch up with him to kind of talk about that development process in addition to getting some wonderful insight on the challenges facing the front lines of airline operations from tower to tarmac, you know, so I kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but it's not just ice traction anymore. There's a lot of different options available. So without further ado, let's jump into my conversation with Peter. Let's do it. Welcome back to the Ergonine podcast. Uh, we are here today being joined by Peter Freeberg from Delta Airlines. He serves as the below wing operations service manager at MSP. Uh, so welcome, Peter. Peter, can you tell us a little bit about what that job title means and what you do at Delta? So there's about 30, 35 of us. Not, it's not an exact number. We manage really the day-to-day -day operations for for Minneapolis and, and Delta. There's operation service managers in every station. Our biggest job is to just maintain the operation more frontline. And for me, I get to manage, you know, all of the OSMs will say, you know, we manage the best in the industry. We're always looking, we're always looking to improve and they, the Delta is very good to us and allowing us to do that, allowing us to have relationships with people like Ergodine and, and uh, develop what we need to develop to get the job done. But again, we just primarily manage the day-to-day -day operations of, of the industry. You guys are de definitely the underappreciated 
group of people when you think of aviation and what makes everything run and work you know we've had the pleasure of of being close with the company and with yourself for many years and learning the ins and outs of of what makes the aviation industry tick and you know ramp workers especially are are very underappreciated um so you know they are also kind of the offensive lineman of the airline biz they only really get noticed when something goes wrong so could you help our listeners get a better sense of the level of complexity and demands that your crews are facing to make sure that flights get airborne safely and on schedule? Yeah, I, I would say ACS as a whole, which is our airport customer service division, falls into that whole, they're there and nobody notices them. But if, if they weren't there, the, air, the airline wouldn't continue to, to function. It's interesting in the airline industry because everybody fits into that niche. You know, if we didn't have the pilots or the flight attendants, but ACS is that one that the customers come and move past us throughout the airport above wing, which is the gate agents below wings, which is the ramp workers and our tower personnel. They just, we just kind of fit in. We just kind of fall back into the background and don't notice it. But most of our guys above, below, and then the tower, their entire function is to plan the load for safety and fuel efficiency and to get it then to put that load into into effect and make it a balanced aircraft that will fly safe we do it time and time again again we are the best in the business at it other airlines are calling us other stations are calling minneapolis all the time and saying how do you guys get it done with the efficiency you do but their biggest job is to take the load which consists of freight mail and bags and get that balanced onto the aircraft and in it's like playing a huge game of Tetris on your knees underneath your dining room table. So ergonomically, physically, mentally, you are you are pushed to the max every time you do it. And then we take out a stopwatch and we put you on a, on a 30 to 45 minute clock every time you do it. So it's always a hurry up and get it done. And these guys always get it done with the, with the most efficient, safe. It's, it's to me, it's, it's amazing to sit and watch. Allie, you've been out and watched. They, you know, it's to crawl under the table and get, get an excess of 150, 50 pound bag shoved at you. And then to get them all to fit under into a tube like that safely is it's amazing every time they do it. Yeah. Actually to, to kind of go off of that a little bit and give extra appreciation where definitely do. Um, so for background, if those of you listening on the podcast that don't know, I play professional women's hockey um, in the NWHL for the Minnesota Whitecaps. And we, fly Delta as often as we possibly can. And just this past week, we appreciate that. Yes. Just this past week, we were flying, um, to our season, a couple games and we are on a small CRJ 900. Um, so for those of you aviation nerds like myself, it's a, it's a smaller aircraft. And here we show up with probably excess of 50 some bags, 25 of them are 50 pound hockey bags with sticks and everything else. And, I mean, it is just, you don't think about what that, that's so different than a traditional flight that has more or less just luggage. Now, all of a sudden you have an entire hockey team with twice the bags that you're expected on this small aircraft. And I know that before we left Hartford to come back to MSP, they did have to adjust the load um, and some seats on the aircraft for that weight balance. So it was a really interesting thing to be a part of. And having watched your team work, I kind of knew what was going on, but it, it, it's incredible how quickly they can adjust the situation and make sure that we get where we need to be safely. 
it's always amazing to watch them. It's amazing to watch them make their adjustments on the fly, to watch above wing, below wing, and our load center in Minneapolis all work together to, to achieve that. You know, it's, Allie, as you know, having been down there, once you've been down there and seen it, to sit up and look out the window and, and know a little bit what's going on, it gives you a whole different view of when you fly. You know, landing now for you has got to be different like it is for me. You start watching what they're doing and you're going, oh, I know what he's doing. And sometimes you, you're like, oh, that's, that's interesting, you know, and, but everybody else is just watching it happen, thinking, what's that, what's that guy doing standing out there with that stick in the air? Yeah, a hundred percent. So along with that, you know, what are some of the biggest safety challenges that these workers face, you know, especially on baggage and, and other different components of below wing safety? Um, our biggest challenge in Minneapolis is, I mean, you go outside right now, it's sub-zero. Um, when the plane, when the plane comes in, it's, it's broken down, emptied. The bags are all delivered to where the, to their destination, their next destinations, and then loaded. And the entire ramp crew, there's, there's no breaks. There's no, I'm cold, but every day is a new condition. Every day is a new challenge. You know, for example, when your hockey team comes through, that's, that's not something that those guys came into work and they got to sit all, all night the night before and plan, how are we going to get these 54 bags, these 54 um, equipment bags stacked in there, plus a stick bag, plus all their personal bags. How are we going to get that stacked into a CRJ 900? It's a lot of, you know, in what we call at the airport, a lot of tribal knowledge. Everybody works together. They know we've done it before. We can do it again. But our biggest challenge is just the changing conditions, the changing loads, that just everything's different. And then again, we put you on the clock. You're, we, if you've ever, if you're ever at the airport and you look out the window and look toward back towards the airport, there's a, a gate information a screen, gate information screen that tells us how much time we have left, and it's actually counting down. So the agents are watching their time. It's like playing in a, it's like playing in a sporting event. There's there's a clock, and you're watching your time go away. And sometimes you're watching your time go away and you're standing there looking at 54 hockey bags going, <laughs> all right, I have, I have 19 minutes and I have to get all these bags into, into that, into that compartment right now. How are we going to do this? And I like, yeah, yeah. step up time and time again and just get it done. I remember uh, one of the days I was there, it was, there was five minutes left on the clock and there were two connecting flights that we were waiting for bags from. And I think that that's something that as a passenger, you don't, realize the complexity of what goes into transferring a bag from one aircraft to the next. But I remember being like, what do we do? What do we do? You know, and then thinking of the passenger that's waiting for that bag. And, you know, when delays happen that are completely out of anyone's control, these are the types of things that it kind of sets off in motion is there's another flight that's got a countdown that's within five minutes. And we're trying to get that bag from gate A27 to G5. And, and how, you know, just all of the things that go into getting it from one plane to the next is pretty incredible. Yeah. Have you, when you've been, Allie, have you been up to our control center upstairs? I don't think I've been, I don't think I've been up to the tower. That'll have to be next time. Yeah. We'll get you up there. Cause you know, the, what you're watching on the ground is them communicating with each other, moving those bags and keeping what the tower is doing is they're sitting with, well, right now, 200 plus flights all coming in and at any given time, somebody calling on the radio saying, I'm missing four bags off of these flights. They landed three minutes ago. Where are they? And our tower agents have to immediately be able to jump on that and say, they just, they just left D6. They're headed down 
down through the, you know, the, the horseshoe and W and in just a minute, just wait, or they have to make that difficult call to say, you know what, you're not going to get them. So we gotta, we gotta go. And that is such a last ditch call. And it's such a call that involves everybody from the highest leader in the station down, like, Hey, we're going to leave this bag. Is everybody okay with that? And it's not taken lightly. You know, I think a lot of our customers think that we just, we just go, we leave the bags. Mm -hmm. When you sit up in the tower with us, you'll see like, as soon as that decision is made, we're going to leave a bag, the emails, the radio communication, everything is going out. Like, is there anything else we can do to get this done? We have to try everything up to and including, Hey, do we need to go a minute or two late? Like, can we, if we just wait, are we going to be successful with this? Because we always put that, that customer first. Um, our leadership team in Atlanta does, has a really good way of explaining it to us. And we always tell our people, you know, you have to, you have to flip the trip. I mean, you have to stand on the other side of the counter. You know, your hockey team is flying and there we stand and we're going to miss one of your bags. Put yourself in their shoes. How would that feel to you? And our, our people are amazing at that. And our ramp guys are, they get passionate as you've seen about that. Like, no, we're getting that bag. Like we're staying, we'll get the bag. We'll get the on time. And they do it safely and they do it repeatedly day in and day out. Yeah, that that's really incredible. And I think that everybody listening to this will hopefully look at flying a whole lot differently. Cause I think, you know, when you're on the other side of the counter, like you mentioned, all I see is my bag's not here. And the things that run through my mind of why that possibly could be, I will be the first to admit until experiencing it and understanding what's going on behind the scenes. I just, just figured it's careless. It's, you know, it's sitting in the middle of a runway. It fell off a cart. Like the things that cross your mind are just not <laughs> always positive. Um, but to know the care that's going on behind the scenes and to know exactly like you said, like we try everything in our power to prevent that from happening. But at some point, just like when we talk about safety hazards, there's conflicting risks at some point, you know, can you afford to have this new aircraft, this new route that's going take off 20 minutes late? And then, cause that's just going to be a trickle down effect for the rest of the day. And at some point something has to give. So kind of within that and thinking of the safety piece of it, um, what word or phrase would you use to describe the safety culture in which your teams operate? Um, our safety culture and whenever we say and talk about it, it always comes off like a poster on a, on a factory wall. Mm -hmm. Is, uh, is safety first always. And it, our CEO, all the way down through myself and my, the leadership team I'm on, have told our people that above all, do it safe, do it right. We have you know all of our employees from the newest hire all the way up to the, the guy who's been there for 40 years has the, not only the, the right, but the responsibility to call what we call a safety timeout. And that's not just something it's, you know, the, the error has happened and we can see it happening, but it's when you get that feeling that you've lost control or that you've, that you're just, you need to just stop for a second and collect everybody and get on the same page. Everybody has the right to take a safety timeout. And that is hundred percent non-punitive. It's very much, you know, safety first, always. We, if you have to stop the operation to get it done safe, let's stop it. Let's reset. And then let's go back at it in a safe manner. Um, our CEO on down has, has come to our, all of our people and said, if you, if you don't feel you can, you can perform safely before you start, stop and start again. That's really incredible. 
how do you get buy-in from newer workers? Cause you know, that's the first big thing. And that's one thing when we are doing, you know, trainings and conversations on job sites, it's, you know, especially the newer workers that there's a, a, a kind of a fear to take a step back because, well, if everybody else is doing it, why is this a problem? Like, I don't want to be seen as the problem or I don't want to make light or call to attention an issue. So how do you kind of mitigate that and get people to really buy into exactly what you're talking about and feel comfortable speaking up and, and make, maintaining a safe environment? Uh, the easiest way to say it is we talk about it all the time. It's safety is it's what we open every meeting with. It's what we end every meeting with. It's what we talk to our people about constantly. So everybody knows it's, it's not only an expectation, it's their, it's their, their job. Their job is to work safely. Well, the planes and the, and everything else, we are very, very good at doing that. So we really do focus on just doing it safely and doing it better. Uh, so we, the buy-in comes from everybody just being welcoming when they get there getting a new hire assigned to somebody that is watching over them and showing them, hey, if you don't feel right, just tell me, just say it to me. You know, that first couple of times you do it, you may need to go to the, the person you're, you're assigned and you're working with and say, hey, Allie, I don't feel right about this, but how do we stop it? And, and learn how to say, well, here, I'll show you. You just tell everybody, hold on, we're gonna, we're gonna reset here and we're gonna do this again because we wanna get it done right. We wanna get it done safe. That's super cool. So you know, kind of bringing the two of us together, obviously a large part of what we do at Ergodyne is, is working with people like yourself to create and test safety gear that not only aims to keep crews safe and productive, but also increases their enthusiasm for using it in the first place. Nobody's favorite topic or favorite thing is PPE or safety equipment. Um, so one of the more recent examples of your help is with testing our spikeless traction device that we actually just launched this winter. Could you speak a little bit to the danger and consequence of slips and falls for your crews? And you know what sort of solutions and strategies are deployed to mitigate that risk? Uh, slips and falls are a huge deal, especially in this weather, because that, you know, the, the ramp never gets to, gets to thaw out. The ice never gets to go away. So obviously we've worked closely with you guys to get the spikeless traction. And we've, we work with closely with the Mac to where we, any, anybody can get on the radio and call the tower and say, Hey, call the Mac. I need sand out here. I need this, I need this, this area cleaned up. The Mac does an amazing job on a day like today where we have no weather, they'll be out with their grinders, getting that, that ramp back to, to dry asphalt and dry cement. But again, working with Ergodyne has been amazing. It, when it comes to getting our people to buy into using the PPE, our relationship with Ergodyne has been so amazing because our people feel involved. Allie does a good job of coming out and sitting and talking to them. I think a lot of companies implement safety PPE and safety equipment by just bringing it in a box and dropping in the break room and say, everybody grab this and this is what you have to wear and what you have to do now. Delta doesn't do that. Minneapolis doesn't do that, but Delta as a whole doesn't. They have alleys out with us all the time. A lot of our managers know how to get a hold of you and say, hey, you just gave us this. We need to change it like this. And it helps our people buy in because I've heard guys say on some of the stuff that you've helped us, you've helped us get into the system, Allie. You know, I was I was the one who helped design this. Well, when you get that, then they their buy-in is there because it's not now it's not Delta Ergodyne selling it to Delta and Delta giving it to employee to wear. It's the employees going to Ergodyne and saying, Allie, make this for me. 
now change it like this. They go out and tell all their friends, you have to wear that. I, I designed that. That's mine. So you have to wear it. And then the buy-in comes because, you know, a lot of people do know you, Allie. They see you walk into the building and they're like, Allie's here. This is going to be fun. What are we getting? What are we going to play with today? You know, and then that's, that's where it comes because the new employees start to wonder what's going on. And, you know, you've walked, you've been around with, with Q and Bill and the ramp guys and been in the break rooms, been in the, in the bins. And they like when they, when you do that, it gets them, lets them know that we are doing it their way, not the way, just the way we think it should be done. Yeah, I think that's a huge point. And I think that's why our VOC program, which our voice to customer is, is such a huge deal. And it's exactly that you're part of the development process. You're giving the feedback to say, you know what, when we're in the bins, this doesn't work. I know from a conceptual standpoint, you would look at it and say, yeah, that, that makes sense, but it doesn't work in reality. And so having a part of that development process, there's a lot of pride with that. And I know when I first started this job, I still to this day, if you ask me like, what was my favorite product to launch? It's the first one, because that was the first time I got to have that feeling of, oh my gosh, I literally brought this to market. Like it's my baby. And that's kind of, I think what it feels like to be part of that process. And then be like, not only is it made to exactly what you want or as close to it, but you had a part in it and that's super cool. Well, it's made to what you want. And when it, when you can't get it exactly, you were able to talk to the development team and understand why they can't, if there's a you know, if there's a physical reason why it can't be that way, it's easier for us to explain that when, when you've been out there and said, we can't, if we make it that way, it will just break. Or if we make it that way, it won't, it won't be as safe. You know, you ask about the, the spikeless shoes, the shoe coverings, those are great in the bin because those guys put those spikes on, on a metal floor, they have, they have zero drive and then they get hurt because when they go to dig their, their toes in to push and move, they slip. And that's when we start tearing up knees and backs and things like that our guys were able to talk to you about that. And, you know, I know the first prototype we got, it slipped off a lot when they got on their knees, you came out, you made it bigger and more robust. You put in the string to make it, you know, make it tighten around their ankle. And the guys, I, they've all said, you know, that, that was our change. That's, we did that. It wasn't, you know, we know Ergodine did it. We know it was probably on the, on the block before, but if it makes our guys want to wear it, perfect. Yeah. That's you did that. Well, yeah, and it, it was, that's a really good point of where we came from the very first prototype a, a couple of years ago to now, you know, one of the big things that didn't come clear um, and exactly like you said, but the other component was the glycol, the, the icing fluid that is used. Um, if that were to get underneath, you know, that gap between the shoe and the traction dev device, that could cause it to slip off as well, in addition to what they were experiencing in the bin. And, you know, it, it, glycol isn't something that's typical in any other industry. So it was very unique in that that did prompt exactly what we're saying. We had to change to make sure that that device would stay tight on that shoe or boot, regardless of being in the bin on glycol or just in your average industry. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's huge information. And they were incredibly helpful throughout that entire process to get to where we are today. Well, like I said, they all they all love when Allie comes out because they know that something fun is coming and they're they're going to get a play with something. I know just the other just two weeks ago, catering reached back out to me. They wanted your contact information. They want some of this the spike list because they go on and in and out of their trucks, so they have to walk around their truck to move to move around. But then when they go from their truck into the airplane, they can't have a spiked shoe because it'll tear the floor up in there. 
and they found out we had them. I think they've got a couple of the original prototypes that they've been using. So they've reached out again and said, hey, how do we get these? And now that you've launched, I'll have, you know, I'll give them your contact and get, they can buy them from you guys. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's a good point of, you know, some people might be wondering what is the, why have a non-spiked version? And exactly like you mentioned, number one, the bin, you can't have spikes in the bin for not only the slipping issue, but you don't probably really want metal on the inside of an aircraft bin. Um, and just like the catering team, it's that transitional piece. You need it when you're outside, but you can't keep taking a spike device on and off um, efficiently to go from, you know, an icy surface to a smooth surface or, you know, a linoleum floor that you're going to completely scratch up. And so I think, especially in aviation, but not just aviation, for sure, many other industries, you think transportation as a whole, or, you know, truck drivers, things like that, where they're consistently transitioning indoor outdoor, instead of having to take that spike device off, it, it gives you an opportunity to just have traction, no matter what the setting is. Yeah. And then, linoleum with those spikes is like it's like walking on an ice an ice skating rink you get in there and your feet just you slide all over you tear it up you know we were having to go in and wax and polish floors constantly when we were on spike shoes so it's it's been a great addition i know we need to get more from you so we'll have to you know work on that but everybody everybody likes having them and again it's a lot of it is because it's their development it's not just a product that we brought in and dropped in front of them We've had a bunch of those with our lighted hats and just, you know, the, right now we're, we're working on some other stuff with you guys. The guys are, you know, they, and they know they'll come, they'll come hunt me down and say, Hey, can you make something that does this? And well, let me talk to Allie and see what we can, we can work out, you know? Yeah. It's, it's definitely been a really rewarding and fun partnership. Um, and definitely excited to see where the rest of it takes us, but really want to thank you for your time today, Peter. Uh, this was, this was an awesome convo. Not a problem. Okay, back with you on Radio Free Tenacity, the voice of worker safety. Allie, what a great convo with Peter. You know, always wonderful to talk to folks who are passionate about what they do. And specifically in our case, folks that are kind of borderline obsessed with finding ways to make sure the work is being done as safely and efficiently as possible. Now, during your chat, Peter mentioned how great it is to have you and the Ergodyme team as a, as a partner in developing gear to keep his crew safe. And in particular, I kind of wanted to focus on our recent uh, collaboration with them on the spikeless traction device. Uh, you two were talking about there kind of toward the end of, the, of your uh, conversation. Um, and I guess to help out a bit more and, and to give a, a little bit more insight on that, uh, we're gonna bring in Elsie Nelson, product director at Ergodyne, who led the development of spikeless traction. Welcome back to the pod, Elsie. Thanks, Al. Thanks for having me. Now, else, uh, before we get into a bit of the development history of this product, I was wondering if you could maybe take us through the, the hazard it's trying to solve for, uh, dangerous slips and falls on the job site, right? So, so how prevalent is the issue and how much is it costing employers and, and employees alike? Good question, Al. Yeah, um, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, uh, there are nearly 700 fatalities in the workplace per year because of this hazard. So slipping on um, ice or tripping and falling. And, you know, from my perspective, what's really important um, in working in like an outdoor cold stress situation, it's is 
not only bundling up to make sure you're preventing different cold-related illnesses like frostbite and hypothermia, um, but also considering your footwear. So um, overshoes and ice traction devices are a really um, great low-cost option to preventing slips, trips, and falls on ice, which I believe on average um, can result in anywhere from like $30,000 to $42,000 um, per incident or injury, which is not insignificant. No. And I mean, that's just including the direct costs that you have, you know, insurance claims, things of that nature. That's not taking into account any lost time or training in a new worker to do that job or anything like that. So, I mean, when you think of those other factors or the indirect costs, that cost is skyrockets from there. All right. So with that in mind, then let's maybe dial in on the solutions, right, to, to help solve for this issue. Uh, Allie, in your, your conversation with Peter, uh, you guys dove into the, the product development of the, the spikeless uh, traction device, which um, seems to be, you know, really popular with his crew. Uh, I was wondering if uh, maybe Allie and Elsie, you could take the audience through the development of that product and um, kind of speak to more on how Peter's uh, crew and to help inform um, the the end product. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, when you think of ice traction and traditional ice traction devices, most of them have a spike de- design on the bottom, something to bite into that ice to prevent slipping, falling, things of that nature. But then when you think of industries like aviation and, and others, they don't have the ability to wear spikes. When you're working in the underbelly of a plane or on sensitive equipment or potentially transitioning inside to linoleum floors or things like that, you can't have spikes on the bottom because that's gonna damage the aircraft, the flooring, or create its own slip risk by being on too slippery of a floor. So it, it created a very unique challenge. And Elsie and her team, you know, went to the airport and kind of got to the bottom of everything that they deal with, you know, from the outset, people that aren't in the aviation business on a daily basis, you can conceptualize, yeah, okay, I wouldn't, you wouldn't think that a spike device in the bin of an aircraft would be a good thing. You want to keep the, the plane pretty intact, am I right? But then we learned a lot of other things that we didn't think about, you know, like the de-icing fluid and, and Elsie can talk a bit more about all the things that we kind of learned through working with them and how that affected the development throughout the process. Yeah, we had, I think we started working on this project maybe five or six years ago. So this is, this has been sort of a labor of love. Um, We've, you know, we had some initial prototype designs and Peter and his team were kind enough to test those out for us. Um, We learned a lot in, in in just a couple of years and we made quite a bit of different modifications to the product um, design itself, as well as just sort of the formulation of the rubber. I would say, you know, just from a product development standpoint, for us, it was, there was two really important things. The first was finding the right partner, which for us was Michelin. Um, They were really collaborative and innovative with us as it relates to making sure we're formulating that rubber compound so it works in cold environments. Um, Most rubber actually, once it 
it's exposed to extremely cold temperatures, it gets hard and brittle. So making sure we had a formula that um, allowed that rubber to stay soft and continue to grip um, icy and snowy surfaces was, was really kind of our starting point. And then working with um, Delta, we learned that we needed to make some modifications to the tread design to make sure that it would release snow um, pack and build up. So we, we, we changed the tread design. Um, we made sure that we, the sling itself um, fit a variety of just different boots and shoes um, for easy on and off, but also something that wouldn't pull off if you were walking through, um, you know, layers of snow. Um, and, and, and really just, I think from a performance side of things to kind of reiterate what Ali said, making sure that it was, it was multifunctional and um, something that you can put on when you're indoors, walk outdoors so it's effective on ice and snow, get into kind of those baggage areas without scratching the inside and just have a really nice easy transition while keeping the workers safe. So yeah, like I said, we learned a lot um, and we made quite a bit of different modifications. And I think what we landed with um, and launched just this last year is, is really a quality product. It's, it's incredibly effective and, and we're learning more about different areas um, and places that this product can be used every day outside of even just the airline industry. What about uh, other applications? Yeah, you know, what's great about this device is there are, um, it really does allow for some versatility in different applications. So I had mentioned, um, you know, non-sparking um, spikes, um, heat-treated carbon steel spikes, and even tungsten, they do, they do have a tendency to spark tungsten much, much less than um, steel. But so, you know, a rubber sole such as the spikeless um, really does lend itself well to railway, railway and railroad work. And then thinking about workers who need to, um, you know, have their, that can't wear spikes. So thinking like truck drivers, um, delivery, beverage delivery and transportation, um, a product like this allows them to wear their overshoe while they're driving. Um, and walking up a ramp and transitioning indoors. Um, and then, you know, back again, they don't have to remove their overshoe before they go inside because it could in turn make, you know, scratch the floor or make it, as Ali said, even slip more slippery situation. So for those folks, it's a great product. Um, and then we're even hearing some good feedback now for those who are wearing them um, in more of an indoor setting in um, warehousing, right? So on a warehousing um, concrete floor, they may be going out to grab loads um, that are being delivered and then they can come inside and continue working um, as such. So a variety, definitely a variety of applications this, this product can be worn. So as you were alluding to, Elsie, uh, in your answer there, you know, there are more options than the spike list, obviously. So what are the main things folks should keep in mind when uh, they're considering, um, you know, winter traction of any kind or just traction in general? Yeah, you know, spiked devices and spiked cleats definitely have their place. You know, Allie said it perfectly when she said spike devices are going to cut into ice. Um, and that's what they're meant to do. Those, those spikes are going to grip the ice because they're penetrating the ice. And so there are a lot of um, applications where that's a, that is a great product. Um, you know, there are 
different types of spikes. I had mentioned heat-treated carbon steel, and I also uh, mentioned tungsten carbide. Tungsten tends to be a stronger um, compound than heat-treated carbon steel, so you can actually make that spike even thinner, um, so it cuts better into ice. And really, anyone who's working outdoors in heavy snow and ice situations, I don't have to worry about either transitioning um, or walking on surfaces that they don't want to damage, a spike device is great. Um, and spike devices come in a variety of different slings. Um, they fit a variety of different work boots. Um, you know, there are options that just go over the heel that leave the forefront free. So I had mentioned, you know, truck driving and climbing ladders. That's a really good option um, for those workers. And then um, different devices that cinch over the top of a, a work boot that are just going to, um, we're gonna, it's gonna ensure it stays on if they're, they're trekking through heavy snow. Um, but yeah, definitely a variety and a place and a place for spike devices, which is why I think it's important, you know, we're here today and we're talking about different applications and uses and I think just identifying what the right product is for you is is what's important. Sure, sure. Uh, yeah, definitely plenty of options and over on the tenacious blog at ergodyne.com, you can search traction uh, and, and find uh, any number of resources to kind of help you uh, um, find your way uh, and find the right solution uh, for the task at hand, for sure. Elsie, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining the pod again. Uh, really appreciate your insight as always. Thanks, Al. Appreciate it. Uh, and thanks everybody for uh, tuning into the pod, Radio Free Tenacity. Stay safe out there, people. That wraps up episode 74 of EHS on Tap. You can find more information about Radio Free Tenacity at ergodyne.com slash podcast. And you can find more info about EHS on tap and listen to on-demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.